Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today we continue our resurrection series. In today's sermon, lead pastor Rex Johnson speaks about the resurrection of witness and how witnessing begins with our families. And now, lead pastor Rex Johnson. talking about resurrection time now you know two Sundays ago we talked about resurrected grace how many how many are glad you got the grace of God in your life yeah. happy for that and then last Sunday we talked about post-resurrection how to live the fourth day how to live the fourth day every day past the third day is the fourth day and so the joy of living the fourth day is that we get to glean from the resurrection the rest of our life. And that's the beauty of the fourth day. Today, I'm going to attempt to preach the resurrection of witness. I want to talk about the resurrection of witness. Anybody excited about the empty tomb today? Anybody excited about Jesus coming out of the grave? I love it. I love it. I love it. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to help the pastor preach. And you may be seated in the name of the Lord. God bless your awesome, awesome, awesome people. Let me tell you our goal. Let me tell you the goal of this congregation is to link man to God through Jesus Christ. Everybody say, to link man to God through Jesus Christ. That should be the objective of every Christian, every born-again believer, every Holy Ghost-filled person is connecting the people around us to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Many people think when they think missions, they think Africa, they think China, they think Middle East, they think South America. But the mission field starts at home. And I do believe that reaching around the world and touching lives in foreign lands is an amazing thing and we must give to that and this church continually does. But I also know that real missions begins on our streets. Walking across the street or next door to connect with our neighbors, to be the friendliest people on our block, the people we work with, letting them see a spirit that they don't possess without God in their life. And the people we meet at the grocery store or at CVS or, God forbid, Walmart. (laughs) However, I realize in my spirit that witnessing starts at the table where we sit with our own kin and with our own family. There are numerous times in the Bible when the Lord talked about a household being saved. Talked about Rahab's house being saved. Talked about Noah's family being saved. It talked about the Philippian jailer's whole household being saved. God must be into this household thing. I do know that when the enemy is cast out, when he's put out of a house, he goes and tries to find a dry place to put his foot in. When he doesn't find that dry place... He comes back to the same house. That word house there is generations. It means the generations of families. If he can't have you, he wants your kids. If he can't have your kids, he wants their kids. 
Let me tell you something. Just because you're a parent now doesn't mean the battle has stopped. Just because you're a grandparent now doesn't mean the battle's over. Just because you're a great-grandparent now doesn't mean the battle's over. I believe that the people we feel most keenly about are blood and family-related people. I want to compliment my precious kids. It would be so difficult for me to pastor a church and my children not embrace the God that I serve and the God that I preach. I want to thank my children today for loving the Jesus Christ that I preach and my son-in-laws for loving the Christ that I preach. But I want to discuss how we can talk to our family and close friends about our faith and how we can connect them to God because that's what we are supposed to do. I speak about a man named Andrew today. He appears in John chapter 1. It's on the screen. Again, the next day, John stood with two of the disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, Why do you, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day now about the 10th hour. That's the only time it's ever mentioned in the New Testament, 10th hour. They stayed past the 9th hour. 3 o'clock was shut off time. They stayed to 4 o'clock in the afternoon, which meant they probably spent the night. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, the anointed one. And he has, and brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. And the first time he saw him, he said, But you shall be called Cephas, which means a stone or a rock. It's amazing what Jesus can find in people that we just call brother. Andrew was a man's man. In fact, he was the connotation of being manly. He's a fisherman. He's an outdoorsman. He's a common laborer. And Andrew is a kind of a quiet guy. We don't read about much about him in Scripture. He's only mentioned 12 times in the Bible. Four of those times are when his name is listed with the other 11 apostles. And even in the traditions of the early church, he's one of the few disciples about whom there are few, very few legends about. But that's not to say that Andrew was unimportant. In fact, I will say this. He probably... He probably was the most important, unimportant disciple that Jesus had. The times he is mentioned in the gospel, he's usually doing something very important. He's bringing people to Jesus. And it's my assumption that, I, that to find what makes this man tick, you have to trace him to the beginning with his Savior. In John 1, Two of the disciples of John Baptist heard the baptizer speak about the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And notice what they did. When they heard this, they turned from following John and started following Jesus Christ. Because John truly came just to introduce the Jesus. He didn't come to breathe a message. He came to bring the message. And one of those disciples was Andrew. And he immediately knew that this was the man sent from God whom he was to follow. And the first question out of his mouth was, where do you live? That's the first question. He said, what do you want? He said, where do you live? He, he answered a question with a question. I have my beliefs on that question. I truly believe he was saying, look, Jesus, I know 
you've got a lot of ministry to do all over the lands. And a lot of great things are going to be done for people through your hands and by the words of your mouth. But I also know you have to come home every now and then. And when you do, <laughs> I want to know where you live. Because I'm going to be waiting right there for you when you come home. How do you run somebody off like that? No other reference in the New Testament has that kind of response. You may not take me everywhere you go, he said, but if I know where you live, I'll be there waiting on you when you arrive at your house. Everybody say amen. amen. And I find it wonderful that when the Lord wants to come home, there are people in this church that want to meet him here because he does inhabit the praises of his people. That's what the Lord calls home. Anybody want to welcome him home today? Anybody want to bring him home today? This is your residence right here in the midst of praise. And so the first message to his brother Simon was simply, we found the Messiah. We have found him. In John 6, he brings a lad with five loaves and two fishes to Jesus. In John 12, he brings some seeker people called the Greeks to Jesus and saying, Sir, we'd like to see him. It's important that they found Andrew, and Andrew found Jesus. How does he do this? How does anyone do this? I remember the story of Jesus' dedication at the temple when he was eight days old. There was a man there by the name of Simeon, and Simeon waited on the consolation of Israel, the Bible said, and, and when he saw Jesus, when he saw him, here's his words, he said, Now let thy servant depart in peace. For mine eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. I love that phrase. I love that. But there was also another person in the temple that day. And her name was Anna. And she was 84 years old, had been married some seven years is all, and was a widow since her husband died very young. And when she saw him, the Bible said she left the temple and went through the streets of Jerusalem telling everybody, we have found the Messiah. We have found this Jesus. How would you like an 84-year-old woman walking up to you and say, Honey, you ain't found what I found. I found the fountain of youth. I found Jesus. It's amazing to me that some people want just enough of Jesus to die by. But there's a lot of people in this house that want a Jesus so they can go tell everybody that he's alive and he's well and he's for you also. Clap your hands real big. How is it that a relatively quiet man brings so many people to Jesus when many Christians have trouble even bringing one person to Jesus? Can I preach to you today? This is a message that's needed because I think what happens, let me pause here and just put a, little, put a little parenthetical point here. I think a lot of times people see the crowd of this church and we get, we get e at ease in Zion and we start to say, wow, we can't hold anymore. Yes, we can. If God's through with us, let's just go ahead and put a for, for sale sign on this church and sell out. But if God's not through with us, why don't we reach some people this week and tell them that we have found the Christ, the anointed one in our life. Amen. It's important that I preach this message today. Over 10 years ago, the Lilly Endowment sponsored a survey that involved interviews with 300,000 worshipers in 2,200 churches representing eight denominations. And they found that 75% of churchgoers said they came to church the first time because somebody invited them to church. 
Yet 54% of those 300,000 worshipers surveyed said they had not invited anyone to church in the past year and in the past five years. Well, part of the reason was that. Here is the reason that Andrew invited somebody. You ready? Point number one. Andrew believed that Jesus was worth knowing. Now, I know I'm going to get a rise out of you right now. Anybody here know that Jesus is worth knowing today? I know you're going to enjoy that. Come on. Let me ask you something. Did he bring you out of a miry clay? Did he establish your feet on a rock? Did he heal your body? Did he take addictions away from you? Did he drown those things in the sea of forgetfulness? Did he remove your sin as far as the east is from the west? Anybody want to praise him today? Anybody want to salute him today? Anybody want to say thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me today? I want to go on record right now that God healed a lady in this house today. I felt the healing virtue of the Holy Ghost in this house. God's still in the healing business now. Andrew believed Jesus was worth knowing. John Baptist points him out and said he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew took the Baptist seriously. And he left John and began to follow Jesus Because Jesus was a lamb everybody was waiting for. He was the Messiah that had been promised. He was the one sent by God to change the lives of his people. And Andrew loved his brother too much to have him miss out on the opportunity to meet the Jesus that was worth knowing. Let me say something to you. I know that we say, wow, I know this person, I know that person. You know, I've met the governor. You know, I've met the president back in 1988. You know, I met the president that's currently in office. You know, I met the president that was two presidents before. You know, I met, I met some famous people. Let me tell you something. You ain't met anybody like Jesus. You had not met anybody like Jesus. And I want you, instead of going out and bragging on somebody you met in this life that is temporal, I want you to start bragging on somebody you met that's eternal. I want you to start telling somebody, hey, I've met Jesus in my life. Some people today see church as no more than a religious exercise, really. And church should not be a chore. It it should not be just a responsibility or just a duty to be fulfilled. But this is a place where we find and meet the one that saved us from our sins. Many people know the scripture in John 6 and 35 when he said, I am the bread of life. They know the scripture in John eleven twenty five when he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. They know the scripture in John 14 and 6 when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And they know the scripture in John three thirty six that says, I am eternal life. However, and yet, and yet, Bob Russell, a former pastor of Louisville, Kentucky, once asked, and I put it on the screen, if there was fire in your house and you had six family members inside, how many would you have to get out of the house before you'd be satisfied? Here's the point. There's a hell waiting on people that don't know Jesus Christ. Oh, let me preach to you right now. If you save one and leave five unsaved, is that enough? No, no, no. If you save two and leave four, no. Everybody in that house has got to come out of that house because there's a greater house that they can live in. Somebody help me preach. And this Jesus that I have met is worth knowing in your life. 
The second point that I want to bring out is simply this. Andrew simply didn't know any better. He didn't know any better. He thought that's what you're supposed to do. He didn't realize you needed Bible college and some education witness program to tell somebody about Jesus. He didn't realize he needed to construct complicated theological arguments that would overwhelm people and bring them to their knees. He didn't realize that. He didn't realize that he needed to be a leader in the church to be able to witness. He was just excited about Jesus Christ. And he didn't care. This morning, at the front door, a five-year-old, I said, God, you always just land stuff on my head when I'm going to preach. A five-year-old kid named Avery. Brooke and Robin's little baby girl, the cutest little thing in the history of this church, came up to me and hit me on the leg. And I was talking. She hit me again. Pastor, I want you to meet my new friend, CJ, first time in church, five years old. (laughs) Bible said a little child will lead them. I love people that get excited about telling somebody that Jesus is still the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Woo! I like that little boy that came from the farm to the city. I love his attitude. He got up one morning in the city so filled with excitement that his mother, who wanted to sleep in, dressed him for his play and then put his play clothes on him, told him to go out in the yard and quit bothering her. About 20 minutes later, he came running back in and said, Mama, Mama, everybody has doorbells and they all work. (laughs) I want to know, does your neighbor's doorbell work? Do you know that? A little kid from the country that came to the city found out real quick that everybody's doorbell works. I'm not trying to preach you under conviction. I'm trying to tell you that Jesus is worth mentioning to somebody. And we ought to act like we don't even know better. This is just what we do. This is what we are. It's called lifestyle evangelism. It's telling everybody, hey, hey, you want some help? I know somebody that can help you. You want some deliverance? I know somebody that can deliver. Can I preach right now to somebody in this house? The third reason that Simon, uh, Simon, he brought Simon to Jesus was that Simon Peter trusted him. He trusted him. That's going to get complicated here. But I want to introduce you to something that I need to preach about right now. Part of introducing family to Christ is sometimes difficult because the family knows you. They know all your weaknesses. They know every one of your hang-ups. They know where you spend your quality time and your non-quality time. They know everything that you're in in love with because they're family. And they know all the stupid things you've done and said. And they may even have been offended by you in the past. Woe to those that bring offense. Let me stop right here and just be pastor just a minute. I told Mitch we better pray for the people before I preach because we won't be praying for them after I preach today. Let me tell you something right now. If you're a bristle, if you're a porcupine, You need to lose your quills. You have found the greatest joy that you could ever find. And if anybody ought to be a peacemaker, it ought to be people that are connected with the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. 
Amen. Amen. <laughs> Used to be a little old lady went to our church back in West Texas. Anybody here that I know? Yeah. yeah. A couple of people was out there. She was as sweet as an apple pie on Sunday morning. But boy, you catch her on Tuesday. I know, I did. She looked at me and she said, Sonny, I want to tell you something. We're not in church now. Before she could say anything else, I was running. She had a right to get on me, but not like that. And I thought, wow. The next time I saw her in church, she came up and started hugging me. That's the first time she smelt bad. She didn't smell like perfume that day. You with me? You it's metaphorically speaking. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. People that know Jesus ought to be the kindest people to their family. Ought to be the sweetest people to their family. But pastor, you just don't know what I'm going through with my family. Oh my God. You don't know what I'm going through. They persecute me. They rob. They, they put me down. They step on me. They call me a Jesus freak and all that kind of stuff. Wonderful. That's so wonderful. You ought to smile and say, watch out, I'm going to lay some hands on you here in a minute. You ought to turn that around. Like the old boy I was playing golf with one day. These are all in my notes. You think I'm lost, but this is all in my notes. Like the old boy I was playing golf with one day. He said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. He said, what do you want to do that in Austin for? And the quick as a cat, I said, for people just like you, baby. You need a preacher in your life. I don't need a preacher. You need me. You need me in your life. And in less than two weeks, he said, I need you, preacher. And I, I said, get on your knee and tell me that. And he did. And I laid hands on him. And I picked him up. And I said, now you recognize a pastor in your life. I'm going to tell you something. Your family needs your life in front of them. Your unsaved family needs your life in front of them. You need to be the prince of peace in their life. You need to be the queen of joy in their life. You need to be the child of contentment in their life. And you need to be a soul winner for Jesus Christ. Somebody needs to tell somebody about Jesus today. Amen. Amen. Peter trusted him. Most folks don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I suspect Andrew had a good reputation with his brother. Pete already knew he was pretty religious because he followed John before he followed Jesus. Pete didn't question Andrew's honesty or integrity. Andrew says, come and see the Messiah. And Pete gets up and goes because he knew he could trust something Andrew had to say and because Peter knew his brother loved him and was invested in him. See, a lot of people won't come to church because they believe the church is filled with hypocrites. Let me tell you something. The church is just that, the church. Can I preach about the church? Can I look at your neighbor and say, we're not perfect here? And say, guess what? You're one of them that makes us not perfect. <laughs> Point up here at the preacher. It's all right. Point up here at the preacher. I'm preaching to me. I tell my wife all the time. She told me one time, said, I wish I was perfect like you, but that's when we was discussing some things that you don't need to hear about right now. <laughs> or like that, old, like that old man in church. The pastor got up and said, I want all the perfect people to stand. One old man, about 85, stood up. 
He said, well, he evidently he didn't hear me. He said, no, I want all the perfect people to stand. The old man just kept standing. He said, sir, do you understand what I said? He said, yes, sir, you told all me to all the perfect people to stand. He said, and you're perfect? He said, no, I'm standing for my wife's first husband. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So what there's hypocrites in the church? So what there's bad pastors in the world? So what there's some bad doctors in the world and some bad attorneys in the world? You still go seek counsel. You still go get help with your body. And you still need to hear a pastor that loves people and preaches the gospel. Come on. Don't let hypocrites keep you out of the house of God. Clap your hands real big. Come on. Man, I'm preaching good today. Here's how some people witness right here. Come here, Brother Mitch. Come here, buddy. Brother Mitch has got his cards, but I've got my cards. Hold yours up, Brother Mitch. My card's a little bigger than yours, so I must be more spiritual. So we go pass cards out to people. This is our, it's our effort to witness. Give them a card, Brother Mitch. Okay, here's your card. Honey, you need to read this card. Don't go to his church. Go to my church. I got a bigger card. We knock on a few doors. I'm supposed to do this. I don't know how to do it, but can you come to our church? I don't know where it's at. I don't know who the pastor is, but come. Here. We think this is soul winning. You know what soul winning is? Soul winning is walking up to somebody and you meet them. And before you get through talking to them, they realize you're not confronting them, but you've turned them and you've turned and you put your arm around them and you become their friend and you're walking the same direction, not because you gave them a card, not because you gave them some pamphlet, but because you gave them heart, you gave them Jesus, you gave them love and you gave them an opportunity. Thank you, Mitch. What I'm saying so much, I'm forgetting what I'm saying, but I'm preaching good right now. Fourth point, let me finish. Let me finish. He invited people to come to Jesus at different times for different reasons. I'm going to tell you a story here before I get on that. I'm going to tell you a little story. Everybody say Edward Kimball. Say he was a Sunday school teacher up in the Northeast. You don't have to say that. And he kept going to this shoe store in Boston. And he got to liking a shoe salesman. So he invited him to church. The young man found the Lord. And the shoe salesman became Dwight L. Moody, the great preacher. And Dwight L. Moody traveled in America, then to England. And in England, he preached one day. And a man named Frederick B. Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R, who's a great author, great preacher himself, heard his message. And F.B. Meyer, being a great preacher already, was so affected by the message that he got off by himself and recommitted his ministry to God because he had kind of grown slack and had not been preaching. He was invited to Furman University to preach, Meyer was, and one young fellow in the student body had decided to quit ministry and go back to a secular job. But the message that Meyer preached, because Meyer had also slowed down, Meyer preached about you can never quit. 
the man recommitted his life and he started preaching. He became known as evangelist R.G. Lee, Robert G. Lee. Then Meyer went on to preach at another location. Another young fellow caught fire and began to evangelize. His ministry went to New England, the mid-Atlantic coast. His name, J. Wilbur Chapman. You can get their books in any bookstore. Then because of Chapman's preaching, he was invited to speak at a certain place and he needed some help in his ministry. Mr. Chapman found a young man that was wanting to help him and said, I can help you, sir, if you'll dismiss me. His name was Billy Sunday. Anybody ever heard of Billy Sunday? And Billy Sunday got on fire. Influenced, J. Wilbur Chapman, influenced by J. Wilbur Chapman, got into ministry and went to Charlotte, North Carolina. Businessmen got stirred up. Billy Sunday used to preach to businessmen, and one Mordecai Ham from Louisville, Kentucky, came a businessman. And Mordecai Ham became a preacher. And Mordecai Ham began to preach to businessmen and people all over the country. And in 1934, here's a name, Albert Macon, a 24-year-old farmer, became a Christian under the ministry of Mordecai Ham. And he was full of enthusiasm and he filled up his truck because Mordecai Ham was teaching every night at a certain place. And he filled his truck up and took them to a meeting to hear about Jesus. And there was a good looking farmer's son who Albert especially wanted to get to the meeting. But this young man was, was difficult to persuade. He was too busy falling in and out of love with different girls. And he didn't get interested in Christianity. Eventually, Albert managed to get him to go by offering him to drive his truck. He said, I'll let you drive the truck to the meeting. And the young man got in the truck and drove a bunch of people to the meeting. The next night he said, I want to go back. The next night I want to go back. The next night I want to go back. And before the meeting was over, Billy Graham had given his heart to the Lord. Oh, stay with me now. I'm not done. There's probably not another Billy Graham in this room today, but every one of us can be an Albert McMakin, and every one of us can be an Edward Kimball. Albert McMakin was just a farmer that had a pickup truck, and Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher that won people all over the world. Here's what I'm telling you. Everybody can teach somebody and tell somebody that Jesus is worth the trip to the house of God. Come on, clap your hands. That's good stuff. because of one man one man a Sunday school teacher in John 1 Andrew brought his family to the Lord Simon Peter Easter was an awesome time to bring your family we also have a special event coming up two weeks from the day it's called Mother's Day Mother's Day would be an awesome time to bring your family to the house of God we got special things planned for mom two weeks from the day you need to bring your family men's Bible study is about to go into effect in a couple of days Ladies' Bible studies are going all the time. Singles have wonderful gatherings, and the young adults is growing, and the new campus ministry is in our future. I'm telling you something, folks. It's time to get people plugged in to the Jesus that you know. It's time to be involved in their life. In John 6, Andrew brought a lad to the Lord. The crowd was hungry, 5,000 men. And isn't it amazing that Andrew found the boy? That's no coincidence. Andrew found him. And he knew because of the Jesus that he served because he had already brought Peter to Jesus. He already knew this Jesus could do anything. So he said, "Give me that. can I have your lunch, son? I promise you, you'll take something home to your mama today if you'll give me your lunch. And that boy gave him his lunch. And before that boy was done, 5,000 men plus women and children had been eaten, had eaten that day, had eaten the, the food that the Lord blessed and break and gave. And, he, and I guarantee you that little boy got some of those leftovers. What I'm trying to say is that we have a wonderful children's ministry here. We really do. We have things for your kids. We have, we have a wonderful children's pastor. We have a wonderful children's pastor. Keith and Joyce have been running the children's ministry for the last several years as a part-time, but now we have hired Brandon and Kara. 
young people that love your kids and, Je- and, and, and Keith and Joyce are still backing them. We've got some of the best people in America running our children's program. You need to tell kids on your block. You need to tell children on your block, hey, we got a place where you'll feel the presence of the Lord. Kids need Jesus also. You understand? And when you get kids in the house, parents are going to follow. Is somebody helping me right now? I know this is not a soul winning message like you're used to hearing because usually you're, you're, we're just trying to drag you down and make you cry, but I'm trying to get you excited about winning people to Jesus Christ. He's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. And we've got this ministry over there that's been established about 10 years. Bobby and Linda run that ministry. It's called Jesus and Me. Do you know we reach out to the kids who are unchurched in this city? And do you know some of those kids have gone on to college, been filled with the Spirit, baptized in water? Do you know we're reaching kids that parents don't even want to go to church? We're bringing them to the house of God. Don't look down your nose at those kids. Hey, they're going to rise up and be leaders in our country. You understand that? Because this church is about reaching children. Come on. We've got to reach children for the cause of Jesus Christ. Everybody say family. Everybody say kids. And then let's look at John 12. And I close. Andrew and Philip bring people interested in Christ for the first time. We call them seekers. They were Greeks who would say we would see Jesus. So Andrew and Philip bring them to an intimate meeting with the Christ. And we've got opportunities here for you to invite people to intimate meetings with Jesus. I know it sounds kooky, but listen to me. That basketball bunch over there on Mondays and Thursdays and Saturdays has won so many people to the Lord. So many people. If you can't even play basketball, you need to go over there and just get in the round circle and just put your arm around a brother that don't know Christ and say, hey, man, we'd love to have you on Sunday tomorrow after Saturday today. We'd hate to close that gym down because all it was just basketball. We believe it's a soul-winning station. People find the Lord. We've got dance for ladies on Tuesday night. Ah, 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 staying alive. Stay in the we got that. Who would ever think that we'd have an exercise dance program in this church and people come to Jesus from it? It's amazing what God can do when you just step out. We've got Bible studies provided by the staff weekly. We've got ways to reach you any way that you want to be reached. But I'm telling you, we've got to love our family. We gotta love children. We gotta love the lost. That's what it's all about. Louis Vasquez is one of my favorite people in this church, and I close. Randy, if you'll help me, I close with this. Louis came up to me this morning. He and Kurt and I were visiting out in the lobby in the foyer. And Louis walks up, and once again, God gives me this crown in thought. He said, my mom and dad are starting to visit the church some, Pastor. They really love CLC. And I said, thank you, because I think we have a likability factor. But he said, my daddy, he said, my daddy had a dream the other day. He said, my daddy had a dream about me the other day. And Louis, I told Louis I was going to tell this story. He said, well, Pastor, I'll be in Sunday school today. But he said, I'll get the tape. He said, my daddy had a dream about me the other day. And he told me, he said, Louis, I dreamed about you. And Louis said, Daddy, what would you dream? He said, Louis, I dreamed that you had won 48 people to the Lord in your church. 
Louis had no clue what I was preaching about today. And then his daddy asked him, said, have you started on that number yet? And Louis said, Pastor, I'm going to win 48 people. And then 49 and 50. Because my daddy can dream it. You know how I got here? You know how I got here? A man who was a circuit riding preacher in Oklahoma dropped the New Testament Bible in the mailbox of my grandmother and grandfather. They did not know God. He dropped the New Testament and he underlined everything about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. He underlined it and put a little, little marker in that New Testament said, read this, I'll be preaching about it at the tent revival over in a certain little place. My grandmother got that book, got that Bible, and went to that tent meeting one night and came home, and my grandfather found out about it. I hate to tell you this, but my grandfather beat my grandmother. He beat her up and said, you'll never go back to that tent revival. But the next day he came in and she was laid out on the kitchen floor receiving the Holy Ghost. And he said, get up woman and cook me some supper. She stopped praying for a minute. She said, it's already cooked. Run me some bath water. It's already run. Where's my fresh iron clothes? They're laying on the bed. Why'd you do all this? Because we're going to church tonight. And my grandfather went and found Jesus in his life. And you see pictures of me if you ever look at our family album, if you ever get that joy of looking at our family album, you'll see me on the front row with my grandpa wearing his Oshkosh B-goshes. He wore overalls all the time and he had me up close to him. He had a watch in his pocket and I listened to the ticking of that watch so I would be quiet in church. I was raised on the front row of a church of a family that didn't know God. But somebody brought the gospel to my family. And I'm here today preaching the gospel. Hey, this Jesus is worth it. Come on, we've got to tell somebody. We've got to tell somebody. It's relationships that bring people. 3% of non-Christians in the world ever just walk into church. Only 3%. We'll never fulfill the Great Commission by people just walking in the church. It's relationships that bring people to a saving relationship with Jesus. Get to know somebody and love somebody to the cross. I close today. Thank you for being such a beautiful audience. I close today. Andrew died a pretty horrible death. 
He died in the northern province of Greece, a place called Achaia. And they crucified him. They crucified him. But they didn't put nails in him. They hung him up with tight cords and they put ropes that cut off circulation. And he lived for over two days. No food, no water. The parching sun. Do you know what he did in his last hours? People would walk up to the cross. What do you have to say for yourself, Andrew? He said, Jesus is my Lord. And I sure wish that you could find him in your life. The Lord allowed him to hang on the cross for two days and tell people, Jesus loves you, man. Jesus loves you, lady. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And the reason he was hanging there is because he wouldn't offer, offer sacrifices to idol gods. And they put him on a cross because he had a one true God called Jesus Christ that he honored in his life. Here's what I want to tell you. One day we'll stand in judgment with that. We'll stand in judgment with the man that hung on a cross and said, Jesus still loves you. And I'm here to tell you, we've got life and we've got hope. And we've got a great church, but we have a greater God than anybody lost in this world come on get on your feet right now clap your hands real big and say I've got to tell somebody 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 that Jesus Christ is worth the effort. Bow your heads and close your eyes. And right quick, I wonder if there's people in this room. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.